So I'm just going to pray, and we'll be dismissed after that, because there's really no point in me following up here. This is the paradox of me getting up here to preach after that. There is nothing that makes me want to preach more than, more than hearing something like that, and there's nothing that makes me feel like whatever I'm going to say in the next 45 minutes is just going to be forgotten, because that's, uh, that's what we're going to be singing on the way out of here. So um, that's all right. That's the way it goes. So Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. We're going to be in 3 and 4 this morning. 3 and 4. We're still following along. Uh, The story of a guy named Moses, if you've heard of him, all the twists and turns of his life. Now, soon this this narrative, this story, it's going to stay with a focus on Moses, but it's going to change a little bit, and the picture is going to expand a little bit. But for now, we're still kind of zeroed in on this guy, uh, Moses, who as a baby was, was put in the Nile in a basket, was pulled from the Nile. As a child, he was raised in Pharaoh's household. As a young man, he was a failed revolutionary. As a middle-aged man, he was a shepherd and a sojourner, kind of wondering what could have been if, if things had gone differently. And now last week, we saw where he comes into the presence of God, where he comes before God and, and sees God, comes, I would say face-to-face with him, but it's really just face-to-fire with God, and, and stands in front of this bush that's not consumed and and God gives him a mission. God gives him a mission to go back to Egypt to, to try and, and do really what he's done before. To do what he tried to do before anyway. And he failed miserably at. He wants Moses to go and start a revolution and set his people free. Moses objects immediately on the grounds that he's not the right guy for the job. God replies by saying, you're absolutely correct. He affirms all of Moses' complete lack of self-confidence and tells him, you're really not the one that matters here. That's why I came to you. You're the perfect one for the job because you absolutely can't do it. You're correct, Moses. And he says, I am who I am, and that is my name. And that's where we pick up this morning, he tells Moses, this is how you're going to know that I'm for real. This is what Jordan just read for us. This is, what, this is how you'll know that I'm for, for real. I'll meet you back here at this mountain and you'll worship me. And that's where we left Moses last week. If you continue through chapter 3, God spells, how the, spells out how this whole thing is going to go down and explains to Moses exactly what it's going to look like. So let's read and let's pick back up on this dialogue, still in the cave, still Moses with the burning bush that is now communicating with him. Exodus chapter 3, verse 16. God tells Moses, Go and assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me and said, I have paid close attention to you and to what has been done to you in Egypt. And I have promised you that I will bring you up from the misery of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to what you say. Then you, along with the elders of Israel, must go to the king of Egypt and say to him, Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And I like this last part. Now please let us go on a three-day trip into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to Yahweh, our God. So this is what he's supposed to do. 
He's supposed to go from the people with the, the elders of Israel, convince them that he's heard from God, and then he's supposed to go along with them to the king of Egypt, and he's supposed to go to the king of Egypt, to Pharaoh, and he's supposed to say, hey, we're gone for the weekend. We'll be back in a few days. We're going to go send a, or make a sacrifice to God. And then what happens after that is Pharaoh's going to say, this is, this is what God tells Moses, Pharaoh's going to say, sure, no problem. You guys have earned it. You've worked really hard. I really thank you for what you've done for me. I appreciate all the work that you've done on building this little kingdom for me. Take a few days off. Go have a vacation. I'll give you till Monday. We'll see you back then. That's not really how that's going to go down. That's not what Pharaoh's going to say at all. And God knows that that's not how it's going to go down. Verse 19. However, this is God still talking. However, I know that the king of Egypt will not allow you to go unless he is forced by a strong hand. Now, this is important. This is important for us to see and for us to see uh, from the very beginning here this morning. God is telling Moses ahead of time, I'm with you. I'll give you signs that I'm with you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go before you. You're going to go to the people of Israel. You're going to get them to follow you to be on your side. You're going to convince everyone. And then you're going to go to the king of Egypt, and it's not going to work. He's not going to listen. He's not going to do what you want. He's not going to follow. He's not going to follow your directions and your orders. When you say, give us three days off, he's not going to do that. I know that's how this is going to work, Moses. And you should know ahead of time that this is not going to be easy. I'm giving you the mission. I'm telling you where to go to do. I'm telling you where to go, what to do, whose authority that you're doing it in. And there's still going to be roadblocks all over the place. It's still going to be hard. Friends, too often we can perceive roadblocks and failures and setbacks as an indication that God wasn't present for us when we needed him most. That perhaps God hasn't called us or led us like we had thought. We will run into a roadblock, we'll come upon something and we'll say, well, that road is closed to me, then that must mean that that's not where God had me at all. You know, this is the, the saying, when God closes the door, a window opens somewhere. Sometimes God closes a door because you're supposed to walk right into it. And that's exactly what happens with Moses here. God says, that door's going to be closed and you keep walking. And you keep walking because you're going to walk through that door. It might hurt, it might sting a little bit, but you're going to run into a roadblock and it's going to be a problem for you. This is not going to be easy, what I'm calling you to do. Don't think just because I have called you to do it that the pathway will be clear, that the branches will be out of the way, that the roots will be gone, and you'll be able to just stroll into town. It's going to be difficult. And too often, we can confuse roots and branches and tough times for evidence that God was never there in the first place. I've sat with other church planners who two years in have said, I'm done here, I'm not going to keep doing this, and I'm not going to keep doing this because, frankly, it's too hard. It's harder than I thought it was going to be. They felt that, that it was so hard for them, then, then, then if, if it was going to be this hard, God would have never called them to do it. This is pastors that saying this stuff. I've sat with moms that couldn't understand why God had given them kids if he knew that they would be such a bad mom or at the very least if if God knew that it was going to be so hard for them because it seems so easy for, for other moms, but for them it's just so hard. They're grateful for the children, but completely overwhelmed at the sense of how hard it was. 
I've talked to many spouses that were convinced that God had not called them to stick out their marriage because of how hard it is. If you are married, he is calling you to commit all you have to that covenant and to make it work. You may need counseling. You may need separation for a time. You may need to do something different. You may need to have a community walk through this with you. But just because it's hard doesn't mean that God hasn't called you to walk that road. Whatever is in your life today that you find hard, a job, parenting, marriage, finances, your weight, your anxiety, your parents, your classes, your boss, whatever it is, just because it's hard is not evidence that God has left you or that God doesn't care. You may struggle with some of those things for the rest of your life. I'm going to say some things here this morning about, about how God's with us in these things and, and how God can at times give us, give us victory over these things. And so, I, but I want you to he, hear me. He, he may not. You may be struggling with some of these things the rest of your life. But it also may be just, just something that God is using because he is about to show you and the world how powerful he is when he works through you and in that situation. That's what God tells Moses here. Look in, in verse 19. That's what he says. He says, Moses, this won't go smooth. But if you keep reading, he says, don't worry. I've got this. And when all is said and done, you'll be strutting out of Egypt. Look in verse 20. He says, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles that I will perform in it. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give these people such favor in the sight of the Egyptians that when you go, you will not go empty-handed. Each woman will ask her neighbor and any woman staying in her house for silver and gold jewelry and clothing, and you will put them on your sons and daughters, and you will plunder the Egyptians. Can you imagine how ridiculous that would have sounded to anyone that heard it? I mean, think about what is being communicated here. God is telling Moses that a bunch of slaves are going to have an uprising and they're going to so subdue Egypt that on their way out, they're not going to be hightailing it, hoping that they don't get caught. On their way out, they're going to plunder the Egyptians. The victory is going to be so complete that they cannot even imagine what God's about to do. It is almost inconceivable this could happen. For some of you this morning, victory seems so far away. You can't conceive of a marriage full of laughter and affection. But if God can turn a whole nation on its head, he surely can get your marriage back to a place of joy. Some of you can't conceive of a job you like or a boss that you just simply don't hate. Some of you can't conceive of just how much God can change things. He doesn't always, but he can, and he often does. Don't stop. Don't quit because it's hard. Let it draw you closer to him. And one day you may be able to walk out with all the plunder. Now, Moses is still the skeptic here. God's giving some pretty powerful promises here, and Moses is just going to keep throwing up all these objections. He's, well, hang on. Wait just a minute. Hang on. What about this? What about that? He's still the skeptic. 
But it's not that he's not trusting that God can work. And I'll show you how I see that here in just a second. He doesn't lack faith in God's power, at least not yet. We'll get there, but not yet. Moses' concern is a little more practical. It's even more fundamental than Pharaoh's power that he's concerned about. Let's see what Moses has to say in chapter 4, verse 1. Then Moses answered, he's talking back to God, What if they don't believe me and will not obey me, but say, The Lord did not appear to you? And the Lord asked him, What's that in your hand? A staff, he replied. Then he said, Throw it on the ground. And he threw it on the ground, and it became a snake. And Moses ran from it. Amen? That's what you do with a snake. But the Lord told him, Stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and he caught it. And it became a staff in his hand. This will take place, he continued, so they will believe that Yahweh, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. That's a funny little scene to me. Moses runs from the snake. That's exactly the right response to the snake. I was once, I think I've told this story before, but I can't read this without thinking about this. There was a time that I was cleaning out the gutters at, at the house we were at before, the gutters about 12 foot high, I'm up on the top of a 12 foot ladder, scooping up, I mean there's literally like seedlings growing up out of the gutter, you guys ever get that lazy and that happens, stuff starts to, to, to grow, so there's like seedlings popping up, I'm like alright, I gotta get up there, I've gotta clean this out, I'm on the top of a, like the, the next to the top step of a 12 foot ladder, got my gloves on, scooping this stuff out, just throwing it on the ground, scoop it out, throw it on the ground, scoop it out. Snake staring directly right back at me as I hold this thing in my hand. At that choice, I'm thinking, I'm going to die one of two ways. Either this snake's going to bite me in the face and I'm going to die, or I'm going to jump off this ladder 12 feet and I'm going to die. And I decided the snake wasn't going to get the satisfaction. So I jumped off and, uh, and, and did a little barrel roll and didn't break anything and didn't die. The problem is the snake was still up there somewhere. And I had to get back up there and figure it out. And I I spent a solid 15 minutes trying to decide how much those gutters really needed to be cleaned. I decided, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be a man. I'm going to get up there. Went back up there. No snake. He didn't come down. I don't know where he went. Probably up back up in the attic somewhere, somehow. And so I didn't sleep for a solid week after that because I knew that snake was somewhere. I don't know where he was, but he was, he was somewhere. And, uh, and I didn't like that so much. So, so Moses' response I can, I can identify with. Even whenever God says, all right, throw the staff on the ground, now pick it back up. I'm thinking that's where I'm raising an objection. Moses doesn't raise an objection there. But I'm like, no thanks, God. I'll let it stay. We shouldn't mess with wild animals. We'll leave that alone. Why do I have to pick this thing back up? But Moses picks it back up. You see, Moses realizes that God is, is, is doing a, a miracle. And, and see, what is happening here, we don't, we don't fully understand the context of this, but um, there's a lot of popular resources that are out there. There's a lot of different things that are out there that talk about how magicians in Egypt had a way in which they could entrance a snake, and the snake would become rigid, like a staff. Right, And you could pick it up because the snake would be rigid. I don't understand how this works, but this is, this is documented in a lot of different sources that this, would, that this was something that, that they could do. And we'll look at, at how some of the magicians work in Egypt here in a few weeks. We'll, we'll be talking about that a little bit. But they, they could perform the, this magic. And God does it in the reverse. 
You see, this isn't taking a snake and making it look like a, a stick. This is taking a stick and making it very much a snake. And God's trying to prove a point, just even in this one little thing, that the, the Egyptians have magic, but I have miracles, and that will authenticate who I am, and that will show you, Moses, and it will show the, the people of Israel the power that I have. And we'll talk about how this all comes to fruition and works uh, uh, later. But I want you to notice something here. My assumption has always been that whenever Moses asks this question at the very beginning, he says, what if they won't believe me and they will not obey me? What if they won't believe? My assumption was that Moses was talking about Pharaoh and the people in Egypt, about Pharaoh's power, and that's why he's so hesitant to, uh, to, to, to go on in this, and that's what's going on in this exchange with, with God. But if you'll notice, Moses isn't worried about Pharaoh here at all. When Moses says, what if they don't believe me, do you realize who the they is? It's Israel. It's Israel that he's worried about. What if the Israelites and the elders don't believe me? Verse 5, it says, so that they will believe that Yahweh, the God of their fathers. It's the Hebrew people that Moses is worried about. He knows if he shows up just claiming to speak on God's behalf, they're going to think Moses is crazy. And rightfully so. They haven't heard from God in 400 years. They haven't seen Moses in 40 years. They're not going to believe, them, believe it, him, and they shouldn't. Would you? Of course not. If you go shopping at Food City this afternoon, you head in there, you go in, you're picking up your bread, you're picking up your stuff for lunch this week, you do your Sunday grocery run, and this guy comes up that, that looks familiar to, maybe you, to you, maybe you went to high school with him, maybe you, you know him somehow, but you can't really place him, but he comes up to you, puts, your, puts his arm on your shoulder, and he says, God sent me to give you a message. Are you going to be like, ooh, tell me, I want to know. That's not what I'm going to be like. I'm going to be like, okay. Go ahead, while looking over my shoulder and trying to figure out who else is around me, trying to figure out if one of you guys is filming me with your phone, trying to just see how I would react to something like this. I'm not going to believe what he's going to say. And then if he says, God told me from a bush that was on fire, but it wasn't really on fire because it didn't burn up, but there was a fire there, and it, God told me that this is what, what should happen. And, and then he says, I'm about to deliver you from something, but you need to follow me. And then he heads out the door and he starts heading down 11E and he says, we're going to Knoxville, come with me. Are you going to follow him? Are you going to start walking down, down the road, going through Newmarket, saying, all right, this is what this guy says, let's do it. I hope not. I hope that's not what you're going to do. I hope you're going you're gonna to find a store manager and maybe a police officer and say, all right, this guy's crazy, will you let him leave me alone so that I can just go and I can, I can get the stuff I need to get and I can get, I can get out of here. And you're going to check his cart, see what kind of alcohol he has in his cart and figure out just how much of that he's already drank. And that's what you're going to try to figure out. Moses isn't doubting God here, not yet. He's asking a legitimate question. How can they know that you actually sent me to do this, God. How can they know? And this is when God gives him these three miraculous signs. For, for, now, for now, Moses needs God to help him out. He needs some way to say, no, God really told me this, and God 
graciously does. He gives him these three things here. Three things that are meant to confirm to the Israel people that Moses is legit. The first was the staff that turns into a snake. The second is he tells Moses to put his, put his hand in and out of his cloak. And when he, when he puts his hand in his, in his cloak, which starts out, it's fine. When he pulls it out, covered, covered in leprosy. His, his hand is it's white. He's, he's diseased. It's, it's terrible. And then he says, all right, put your hand back in. Put your hand back in. Pull it back out. His hand is fine. God is trying to take on each one of these things, and he's saying, these are not magic tricks that I'm doing here. These are not, these are not just special sleights of hand. These are not tricks on, on snakes. These are miracles that I am going to do, and they will tell everyone, you need to listen to this guy. Moses is looking for how he can be validated before the leaders of the Israelite community, and God graciously says, here's what you need to do. I think it's interesting. This is just a little side note here. God doesn't require anything of Moses that Moses doesn't already possess. All that is required is that God act when Moses is told. All all that God is saying is, Moses, you do what you're told to do, and I will show up. That's all you need to do. You don't need to go get anything. Use the staff that's in your hand. Use your hand that's attached to your body and stick it in the cloak that you are wearing. You don't need anything else. Some of you are convinced the only thing holding you back from following God is something that you don't have. The only thing that's holding you back from pursuing what God has called you to pursue is something that you don't have and you cannot obtain. A husband that cares a wife that doesn't nag, a kids, kids that will behave, a bank account that isn't empty, a health diagnosis that would just go away, a degree that you're working on but you don't just have it yet. You're constantly saying, whenever this happens, then I'll do this, God. Whenever I get enough money, God, then I will start giving my money away. Whenever my bank account is secure, my house is paid for, then I'll start giving a little bit more. Whenever, whenever my, my, my husband stops coming home, checking out, and, and ignoring me, then I will start loving him and caring for him. Whenever I get this, then I'll do what you've called me to do. If you just had this, you'd be all for whatever God wants you to do. But for now, you just can't. You just can't get by that thing that you don't have. Moses didn't need anything extra. He just needed to obey God, and God would show up. The third thing that God says is, Go draw water from the Nile, pour it out, and that water will turn to blood all these things that God gives, you follow along there in chapter 4, you, you see each one of these things. He's given these three miracles, and, and God illustrates for Moses that he will do these things. That Moses should have every confidence in the world that God will show up and that God is with him because God will do these things. I don't know about you, but when I read this, it can be very, very easy for me to be envious of Moses. I mean, I know everything I just said about if I just had, then I would do. But oh my goodness, how, how many times have I thought, God, if you would just tell me. Like, just tell me and I'll do it. Just, just 
give me a, a burning bush and that's what I will do. I feel like you're leading me in this way, but I just, just tell me, God, give me a burning bush. Bush, give me something to let me know you're there. God, do this one thing. God, if you'll show up in this way, I'll know that you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna follow through in this way. God, if you'll do this for me, then I'll know that you're going to come through over here. God, I just need a little more. Moses saw the fire. He got the miraculous signs. He could know that he knew that he knew that he heard from God. He could know that God would be with him. He had tangible evidence that God was powerful, that God was present, and that God was personal. Oh, it can be envious to say, I wish I had that kind of relationship with God. I wish I knew God the same way Moses knows God right now in this moment. We can be envious and just wish God would make it clear to us that he is with us. But I wonder if Moses wouldn't look at us with a much deeper envy. You see, God gives us signs today, too. We, too, have signs, not in burning bushes or or, or sticks that turn to snakes. Instead, he gives us signs to show us that he is with us. This is what baptism and the Lord's Supper is designed to do for us. This is what baptism and the Lord's Supper are meant to do for us today. Notice, I didn't say our bank accounts. Your full bank account is not evidence that God is with you. Your self-confidence being raised and lifted because you're fired up is not evidence that God is with you. Your Instagram feed perfectly manicured so that the world can see it is not how you testify to the rest of the world that God is with you. That's not how we know God is with us. The signs he's given us are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Signs that point us to the death and the resurrection of Jesus and to our own death and resurrection as we follow him. Do you see how that works? Moses had the miraculous signs where he could say, I know that God is with me because this is what he's done before me. We have the miraculous sign of Jesus coming back from the dead where he came out of the grave. No grave could hold him. We can look back to that and we celebrate that with the Lord's Supper and we celebrate that with baptism. And we can say, he died the death, I should have died, and then he was risen to life, that there is no victory in the grave. And in that, we can say, I know God is with me. I know God is with us. Romans 8, 31 and 32. I quote it all the time. I think it's quickly becoming my my most quoted verse here. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you see what that is saying? If God sent his son to die for us, How much more will he do for us when we live for him? How much more will he be there for us as we carry out our lives? And that's what baptism and the Lord's Supper are meant to do. Point us back to that so that we can remember what Christ has done and what God has done, the power of the resurrection, and we can say, you know what, Moses, you had... You had a a staff that turned into a snake. We have a man that came back from the dead. We have, we have a man who did nothing, was murdered, and came back, and now he's risen me from the dead. He has, he has brought me from a dead man spiritually to a man who is now alive. 
We have that. How much more would Moses say, oh man, if I just had that, I could have trusted God more. Man, if I just had that, then I really could have trusted God. I'm so envious of you guys. I wish I had that. Christian, you don't need another thing to know that God has been faithful to you. There is no trial, there is no pain, there is no despair that God cannot rescue you from. God is always with us, he is for us, and who can be against us? We can't go keep going back to God and saying, just give me one more example to know why you're really here now. I know you've done so much for me. I know I have this giant pile of rocks that tell me all about the wonderful things that you have done. I know that I have I've raised the stone of help, what we looked at a few weeks ago on our first Sunday in here. I know how you have shown up there. Can you just do it one more time and remind me so that I'm really, really, really sure this time? And God is saying, look at the empty grave. Look at the cross. That's how you know I'm faithful. So let's see how Moses responds to this assurance that God is with him after these three miracles and he knows that God is there. Moses is now satisfied. His objection has been overcome. He says, that's fine. I'll take it that they will listen to me if they have heard me. But I got another problem here, God. I know we're working through this. I just got to get all these objections out. God, just hear me on this one. His skepticism still won't go away. Now he asks this one, not from a position of faith, but simply logistics. Now he asks this question from a position of unbelief. Let's read this. But Moses replied to the Lord, Please, Lord, I've never been eloquent, either in the past or recently or since you have been speaking to your servant. So I, I'm assuming that as he's like talking to the fire, that Moses is like, uh, uh, like he can't get the words out. He's not speaking very well. He realizes he's sounding like a fool as he speaks to this bush that is that is burning, that is that is not burning. And he's saying, "I've never been past. I've, I've never been a good speaker in the past. Wasn't a good speaker last week. And I'm standing here with you, and nothing's changed. I'm still not a really good speaker here. I, I'm really slow. I'm really hesitant to speak. Is what he says." So now Moses is really starting to get to the crux of the matter for him. He just can't get past the fact. He's going back to the very beginning of his conversation with God. He cannot get past the fact that he's the wrong man for the job. There must be others for this job. He's not built for this. He's not gifted for this. This is not him. He's not the guy that can stand and can give this message. There's got to be someone else. How many times have we done this to? You just feel like you're no match for the job at hand. From sharing the gospel to inviting someone to church to the promotion you got at work to the screaming two-year-old in your living room that is ruling the house, you simply are no match for the job at hand. You aren't up to the task. Moses knows what that feels like. And he tells God, I can't do it, God. I know you've done all this other stuff, but I, I can't do it, God. No more stalling. No more looking for excuses. No more asking questions and putting things off. He's too scared. He's got too much fear. But God comforts Moses with this. He says in verse 11, Yahweh said to him, who made the human mouth? Who makes the 
who makes him mute or deaf, seeing or blind? Is it not I, Yahweh? Now go, I will help you speak and I will teach you what to say. Now, I don't know if this is delivered as a rebuke or if this is delivered as a comfort. I don't know. A lot of times there may not be a difference in the two. I don't know how God intended this, but, but either way, rebuke or, or, or given as, as a comfort, it is a gracious gift that God gives Moses here. He says, your mouth doesn't work. Well, who made that mouth? I did, and I can control it, and I can take back control of it however I want, whenever I need to, for any purpose that I see fit. Don't be so scared, Moses. I'm in control here. Don't be afraid. Your objections and your skepticism is not warranted. Your fears are unfounded. Not because you're wrong. You've got a long history. You're probably not a great speaker. I'm not trying to pump you up and say, you can do this, Moses. Just practice and you got it. You can rehearse it. We'll, we'll rehearse together while you're watching the sheep over the next few weeks. We'll get this thing down. This is not what God is saying. God is not saying, you'll figure this thing out. You're really not as bad as you think you are. God is saying, I made your mouth. And if I want it to work, I will make it work. I am sovereign over all of it. So it is with us this morning. Our fears, whatever they are of, are unfounded. Now, there's, there's a few different reasons that they could be unfounded. They could be unfounded because they simply aren't true. You're worrying about something that's never going to happen, right? Your fear is based off something that, that is not going to happen, statistically or maybe just period. It's just not going to happen. But you're scared to death of it, right? You know how that works. I know a lot of you know how that works. Not to be like, calling out any stereotypes here, but ladies, you really know how that works. That's just, that tends to be something that, that so many of you struggle with. And I talk to you, you're so afraid of things, things that are unfounded, that are never going to happen. You may be afraid of something that is very legitimate, like a snake, that is very legitimate and may really scare you and may really hurt you, but it's never actually going to come to fruition. Now, you don't know that. It could but you're still scared and you're worried about it. So it could be something you're afraid of that's never going to happen, something you're afraid of that very well could happen, but it's not going to. Or you could be afraid of something that is absolutely going to happen. Some of you may be afraid to die, but you're going to die. You may be afraid of something that is going to happen. Moses is afraid of something that's going to happen. He's going to go before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is not going to listen to him. Moses knows what's going to happen if he shows up. But listen, your fear is unfounded, not because it won't happen, but because God is bigger than whatever it is you're afraid of. Whatever it is you're afraid of, any of it, he is bigger than whatever it is that's scaring you this morning. But then look at Moses' reply in verse 13. This is a heartbreaking verse for me to even read. Moses said, please, Lord, send someone else. Please, Lord, send someone else. Now, you guys know I'm not, I don't get up here, and I'm not a sunshine pumper. I'm not going to tell you that all is going to be well and everything's going to be great. I'm not going to tell you that, that if you just follow Jesus, your life's going to be great. I've said this much in this sermon already, but man, this just breaks my heart to hear the defeatism in Moses' voice here, how he says this, please, Lord, send someone 
else. It's heartbreaking in its resolve. He's defeated and he's resolved to stay that way. It's heartbreaking in its lack of faith. I just want to grab Moses and say, don't throw this away. The God of the universe is telling you that he will make your mouth work, that he will be with you, that he'll do miracles through you. He's there. Just listen to him. Trust him. Put your faith in him. Just just let him show you how big he is. It breaks my heart to see Moses' resolve in his lack of faith. God, send someone else. So often I look and, and I have conversations with, with you guys and with different folks, and, and my heart is saying the same thing. Just trust God. See how big he is to help you in this moment. Just see how big he is to walk with you through your pain, through your suffering, through your tragedy, through your joy, through your happiness, through your promotion, through whatever this thing is in front of you that's intimidating. Trust God and just see how big he is. And I'm pleading, don't walk away defeated. Let God show up. And so often our reply is, and I want to be clear here, I can't tell you how often I'm screaming that at myself too. Don't be an idiot. Trust God in this. Don't be an idiot. Trust God. He can do this. So often our reply is, God, just somebody else. Just not me. Not right now. I can't do this. I'm too scared. God's reply is not a gracious one that follows. It says that God is angry at Moses. But graciously, God kind of condescends to Moses' resolve. He says, fine, Moses, if you won't do it, you'll go, you'll meet your brother, you'll reunite with your brother Aaron, and Aaron will do the talking. But you're still going. You're still going to do this. Fast forward with me to the end of the chapter, to the end of chapter 4. And we'll see just exactly what it was Moses was so afraid of. Verse 29. Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the Israelites. Aaron repeated everything the Lord had said to Moses and performed the signs before the people. Notice it was Aaron that performed all those signs and those miracles. It was Aaron that got to do all those things as Moses' mouthpiece. All of Moses' what-ifs are right there in front of him. And then verse 31. The people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had paid attention to them and that he had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. It all works out just fine. Moses didn't have anything to be afraid of. They saw the miracles, they knew God had sent him. They all believed, and all of Moses' what ifs and well buts just poof. They were all for naught. They believe and they worship which as we said last week, is always the goal, the worship of God. Moses' fears had no grounding. His fears had not come to fruition. Yet Moses was unable to be God's spokesperson because he could not trust God. His weakness was greater than his God, at least in his mind. So this morning, my question for you as we finish here is what's holding you back? What weakness is it that you have that is bigger than God, at least for you. 
What fear is it that, that, that paralyzes you, that holds you back, that keeps you from pursuing what you need to pursue? What is that thing that you are afraid of? What is that thing that you have given more power than God himself? Maybe it's your speaking ability, just like Moses. Maybe you need to invite someone to church, or you need to take somebody out for coffee, and you need to share the gospel with them. Maybe you just need to pray with somebody, and you can't figure out for the life of you what words you're supposed to say whenever you pray. Maybe your mouth gets in the way, just like Moses does. Maybe you need to be more generous. Maybe you need to give more away, but your bank account gets in the way. Your greed is your weakness, and you're saying, God, send someone else, please. I'd like to keep my money, thank you. Let someone else pay for that. That would be great. Maybe you need to lead your family. You need to step into the role as a spiritual leader, but your passiveness and your laziness keep getting in the way. Maybe it's your temper and your anger that keep getting in the way. I don't know what it is, but you just keep telling God, I'm not the man, I'm not the woman for the God, just send somebody else. And God is saying, I made you. I created you from the dust. I am sovereign over whatever weakness is getting in your way. Your laziness, your brain, your mouth, your feet, your eyes, your sexuality, your hunger, your temper, I'm bigger than all of those things. I am more powerful than every one of them. And this morning, I am begging you, don't be like Moses. Don't look to God and say, God, just send somebody else. I'm not up to the task. I'm begging you to trust God with your weakness, trust God with your sin, and let him work in you and through you. For some of you this morning, you're telling God you're not the man because it is your sin that is fully in the way. And I'm talking about for those of you that have never trusted Christ. Your weakness is very real to you, but your inadequacies are are very much in front of you because you realize how far short you come of a God like this. And you've never asked for nor received forgiveness for any of that. And that truly is all of our biggest weakness. That truly is the biggest weakness we have. But the beautiful thing is that God is bigger than that one too. That our sin does not define us. Our sin does not hold us back ultimately. Not because we rise above it, but because Christ has forgiven us for it if we will repent and come to him. And this again is what the cross is all about. Do you see how this works? How all of it comes back to the cross. We're either looking back to the cross and celebrating what he has done, or we are looking forward to the cross in anticipation of how he will forgive us. It all comes back to the cross and the resurrection. For all of us in here this morning, our lack of faith is sin before God. But for all of us in here this morning, we are overcome. We are overcomers because we pursue Christ, and Christ has saved us. We go to the cross. 
We go to the cross, we plead for forgiveness, we throw ourselves on the mercy of Christ, and he will receive us and he will forgive us. That is the ultimate truth here. That is the ultimate thing that we are driving towards here. I don't know what weakness it is in front of you. I don't know what it is that scares you. I don't know what it is that worries you. But all of those things die at the foot of the cross because we can know God is there God is with us, and he is more than powerful to save us. So this morning, as you walk out of here, I don't know what it is that you need to confess before God and say, this is what scares me, and I need to give it to you. This is what worries me, and I need to give it to you. This is what has held me back. I know you're calling me to do this, but I'm stuck right here with this thing in the way. Some of you just need to confess that before God and say, God, that's yours. I trust that you are bigger than that thing. That thing is not a greater God than you are. But for some of you, it may be that your response is, God, I trust you with my sin, that you will not hold it against me, not because I have overcome it, but because you have overcome it with your son. This morning, repent, know God, cast yourself on his mercy, and live in the celebration of the cross that teaches us that we know he is there, he is for us, and he is powerful enough to do whatever he is pleased to do. Will you pray with me?